Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. And I meet a lot of entrepreneurs in my audience. And I have rarely met an entrepreneur who's more persistent than today's guest, Dmitry Dragolev. Boy, dude. I, when, when you and I first met, you were incredibly persistent in making sure that you were helping me, that you were showing me how I could improve my site. Every interaction I've ever had with you, Dimitri, where I said, this is what we're thinking of doing. You followed up with work to help me or help my team do what we're doing better. We started writing articles about chatbots. You said, let me show you how to do it better. You worked with me. You worked with Tam Fam on our team to make them even better. You gave us a framework for how to do it well. The thing that I always wondered with you is how how are you still married with kids? Are you still married? I am still married. You still have yeah. kids? <laughs> Two kids, four and yeah. six. I don't know how you're able to do that and run the business. And the business that you ran, it's called Just Reach Out. Justreachout.io is the domain. You came here to tell us that you sold the business. I want to find out about the the challenges with the business, how you grew it, how you found somebody to buy the business, the way that you structured the sale, and then what you're up to now. And that's what this interview is all about. We are going to talk about, you're going to tell us how much you sold the business for, right? I'll give you a very good range. (laughs) You know what? I'll do the quick sponsor message. This interview is sponsored by HostGator. If you need a website hosted, go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy and Unbounce, which has a brand new report that's going to help you improve your conversion rates. They want you to go check it out for free at unbounce.com slash CBR. Give me the range. What'd you sell? Just reach out for. Between 700 and 900,000. And it's not the whole business. It's what percentage? It's 80%, let's say. Somewhere around there. All right. The thing that I know about Just Reach Out is this. It's for people who don't have a PR company, want to do PR on their own, and need some structure and software to get it done. So you train them on how to do it. If they wanted to, say, for example, do public relations via podcasting, you showed them podcasters they could reach out to. You told them how popular the podcasters were. You made it easy for them to connect to the podcasters. Your software would allow them to send a message to the podcaster, and they hopefully will land a spot being interviewed on a podcast, which will then send them traffic and also increase their page rank and be great for search engine optimization. Same thing for if they wanted con- their content to appear on other people's blogs, you allowed them to uh, to find the right content sites and the right publishers and reach out to them. That was the whole thing and still is that Just Reach Out is known for, right? Correct. Yeah. And basically get links to grow your SEO, to get traffic and convert that traffic to customers. And so how much revenue were you able to get this up to? 250, 300. We've had a year. So we've had years where it was 400 a year, 400,000, but 250, 300 was where it was at the last couple of years. thing that I wonder is why wasn't it more? You're a guy who wrote great content, knew how to rank, knew how to get traffic. You're in the SaaS space, right? Recurring revenue. Mm-hmm. Why do you think you didn't do multiple times that, 10 times that even? Because I was only working 15 hours a week or 20. I think everybody in my world is pushing like crazy to grow that revenue and they can kill themselves over it. They can not see their kids for two weeks and they can they, they can achieve those numbers. They can go to a networking event, get on a podcast, talk about those numbers, be proud of those numbers. To me, 
being with my kids was more important than some metric and some success factor with, with a business. I just literally chose that. Well, why 15 hours? Couldn't you go 40 hours then, 3X the results, maybe even more than 3X the results and still have time with your kids? I, 40 hours is nine to five. Uh, I don't know. Like I felt like I needed to spend more time with the kids versus the business because my dad never spent any time with me. And maybe I was overcompensating for something. I don't know. I was also by myself. I didn't have a partner or a coach or anybody else to kind of guide me. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of lost for a number of years doing this thing. Like I didn't know what to do, what I what should did be that focusing period on. Feel like. Huh? What did that loss period feel like? What do you mean we were lost? Can you describe what? Don't know happened? what to do with the business. I built a, a, an app. I got a hundred people in it, 200 people in it. And then, you know, it wasn't working out for those people because they, for some reason, didn't know how to do PR. So I started teaching them how to do PR and I started figuring out how to do that and educate them. And then I got more people in there and I got that part covered, but then... I was bleeding people because they were not engaged. And then I had to work on that part. And I was kind of a little bit all over the place as a sole founder without a team and trying to grow this, earn a living and, you know, um, sustain my family life as well. Um, I was fresh off, not saying no to Google on about that other acquisition. Cause I, you know, I decided to not join Google. This was a previous interview that we had where a company you about that how you had an opportunity at, to get a, jo a job, essentially at Google, right? High paying job. Well, I worked at a company. I helped scale it. I was the only marketer. Google came, acquired the company and said, Hey, Dimitri, you can join if you'd like. And I, before that even happened, I said, no, no, I'm going to go off on my own. I'm not going to have a job. So I had foregone that big paycheck. I was trying to build this, this tool on my own. It was just, just trying to put out fires day after day after day, at the same time being very mindful, like, oh, I gotta spend more time with my, with my family. I was essentially living like Patrick Burns said to me once, he's the founder of overstock.com. He said, if you had to live six uh, months at a time, you knew you were gonna die in six months what would you be doing today? And I was kind of stuck in that mentality. Like I want to spend time with family, friends, be doing that. Who cares if this thing isn't going to scale like everyone else? The first version so of the software lifestyle approach <laughs> when it was software and it wasn't doing enough for you, uh, where it wasn't doing enough for your customers and they were churning out. What did the software do? It was just, uh, a quick search on Twitter to find journalists covering a specific topic and bloggers. It would create a list and then you could either tweet at them or you could email a generic email address at their email at their website mm -hmm. and say, hey, I have something to pitch to you. I want to be on your show or hey, I want you to cover this or that. And that's where I was losing a lot of people. So people were pitching all sorts of crappy things. And then uh -huh. I did AppSumo, which brought in a whole bunch of people who were not a good fit either. Meaning AppSumo, where you offer a deal, you give people a super low price, and in return, they get you flooded with new customers. And then you're, what you were seeing was they were just sending out junky messages to reporters. 
you were sending it out on your uh, servers or you were feeding it into their email software? I was at first doing my own servers because Gmail and Google OAuth um, would not give me permission to use their API. And it took me 16 months to get permission from Google to even do that, uh, to let my customers use their own Gmail accounts uh, because Google is so strict with this. I had to hire a security firm and it was just like crazy, a crazy process. (laughs) Okay. And so... You were sending it on your server, which means that all that junk messages, all those junk emails were coming out on your reputation, right? They were on the domain itself. And that's where I had to clean house. So after I did AppSumo, what I did is I literally paid people to leave or I refunded their $49. And I had, I said, please leave my platform. You don't have anything (laughs) valuable to pitch bloggers. And I'd sit there day after day after day on Zendesk, literally PayPaling people $49 Dimitri, to leave if, my platform. If it's $49 that they paid, you didn't get all the $49. You got I didn't. less than I half didn't get of it. I got like 20% of it, but I didn't care. Like I just- so You were willing <laughs> to give them money more, than, lose money on. Why didn't you switch to Mail2? You know, Mail2, which allows them as soon as they hit a button to use their own email software to send a message. Why did you do that? I started, I started doing that. It was just a whole bunch of things. You know, I, I did AppSumo a little too early. It brought in a whole bunch of people that were not the best people. We were trying to switch to let people use their own emails. Uh, and on top of it, people were pit- were not equipped to pitch. They didn't have anything good to pitch journalists. Only one or 2% did. So it was just, a little bit of a hot mess as it should be with with a startup, you know? <laughs> okay. All right. And so you said, I'm going to take this off of my mail servers. I'm going to take it off of my domain, work with Google to let Google give you permission to send off of your customer's Gmail uh, accounts. Great. Who did all the software for that? So I had a partner, um, a friend of mine who runs um, a software development firm and he came on and um, helped out a lot. I also had um, just contractors from friends that would help me. Uh, Yeah, it was, I had to manage a lot of my developers myself. I have a computer science degree, so I could kind of manage them. I didn't code. I coded the very first version of it a long time ago. Okay. All right. And so what, and then you said, I have to teach them. It has to be lessons plus software the lessons seem to have done well for you, right? Lessons did. So independently, I still have that course, PR that converts, and that still earns quite a bit of money for me. Um, so um, Brian Dean kind of interviewed me on in his course, and uh-huh. um, that got me thinking that I should create my own course to teach people how to do PR. And then I had a I have a blog called Criminally Prolific, and I have email subscribers on there, and so I ended up. Uh, selling my course. And since that did so well, I sort of put that into the software and immediately it showed people how to do PR and it filtered out people that didn't want to do it. And so that started cleaning house for me too, of people that were not a good fit. All right. And then you, you started adding more features, the ability to search for content creators. I think it started with blogging, right? 
you can help bloggers, them find bloggers. And we added podcasters. Uh, we started adding journalists based on specific topics as well. And then we got into SEO, which is my world is backlinks and backlink building based on say broken links. So the tool would find broken links on any given topic and tell you, hey, here's a broken link about marketing tactics for small businesses. You have a blog post on your site on this topic, email this person and ask them to change this broken link. And it started getting more specific that way. Here's a podcast episode about uh, selling your company to an SEO agency. You might be interested to pitch this person because that's the topic you covered on your site recently or something like that. Got it. I'd find those broken links, links to, to podcasts that are done. I find a podcast episode that fits that. I send the founder, the, I send the article uh, writer a note saying, hey, you're sending people to a broken link. You might want to try mine and hopefully I get some links. That's your software. There's software that does this. This makes a ton of sense. What's the limitation? Why didn't it do, why didn't it do better? Well, I think positioning was something that I consistently went back and forth on. Who do I go after? Do I go after people that are just doing PR? And it could be a communications person in the company. Maybe it could be a person who's an SEO person who's doing SEO uh, at the company. Right, right. Who's so that? I changed right. the positioning a lot throughout the years. And so we had a whole bunch of different people that were using it at different times. And I think now that it's kind of slanted towards SEO people, we've seen the growth of the new person that is running it has a very specific focus. This is for content marketers who are doing SEO for companies out there, for brands. And so now it's very much positioned the right way. Meanwhile, um, you talked last time you and I did an interview about the pain of thinking I could have been working for Google. I could have had a, a more stability. Did that keep you up nights? I know that for me, when I don't worry during the day, but one o'clock, one fifteen in the morning, I my mind starts going into what about this? What about that? Yeah, um, a little bit. I. I don't regret not taking the Google offer because I knew talking to friends who are working there, they're just kind of chilling on the shelf. They're, they're just mentally checked out and I would be so unsatisfied with myself um, and I expect more of myself. So I always need to be doing something. I think, you know, in terms of stability, it was just a crazy time in my life. Like I wanted to spend a ton of time with my kids and I, I needed to speak Russian to them. If I spent a two days working full time and not speak Russian to them, when they come back, I can see them talking English to each other. So that's immediate feedback to me saying, dad, you haven't been spending that much time with us. You've been working on your, on your, on your startup. Uh, and we're missing the language and, you know, and so I, I constantly got that feedback. I wanted more time. And so I just made a very conscious choice. You know, I'm going to spend way more time with kids while they still want to. And <laughs> the teenagers not going to hang out with me all the time. Try and uh, do that now. And who knows? I'll probably build another startup or a company later on. 
I did think you were working all the time. I didn't realize you were just doing 15 hours a week. I get text messages from you that were super persistent. I think the only reason we stayed in touch is because you're super persistent. I'm, I'm terrible at staying in touch. Okay. Was it just like geared towards me and a couple of other people? Is that where you spent most of your time just kind of obsessing on a few people or, or what happened? When I meet people I like, and I think we could help each other genuinely, not, you know, and I, I want to help them out. I help them out and I continue building relationships. I don't build relationships with everybody. I try and respond and, and help as much as I can. I do time box my work. And right now I'm very strict on say like 10 to four and that's it. And then I'm with the kids. And so, yeah, I mean, um, I try and work less to be with the kids. That's a big part of my life, but what's the deal with your dad? He didn't spend much time with you. Not at all. I, this was in Russia. I grew up in Russia. I came here when I was 11. Um, he was not warm, fuzzy kind of guy. He just kind of was mean? off on his own most of the time. <laughs> mean or just off on his own? Just off on his own. He wasn't mean. It was just, he was oblivious to everything. And he, he'd go to sleep every day at 11 o'clock, 11 PM. And like, you know, one day I had double-sided pneumonia. My sister had to go to the hospital. I had to go to the hospital. He was like 11 o'clock. Well, I guess I'll see you guys tomorrow. And then it was (laughs) up to your mom to handle it. And my mom took us to the hospital and then like he woke up and the next day just started. And I was like, you know, he slept on the couch in the living room and my mom slept in the other room um, on a fold out armchair and my, and I slept in the corner in the, in the living room and, and I never really spoke to him. He'd get up, he'd do his weird yoga and then he'd leave <laughs> <laughs> and he'd drink a ton too. He still drinks a ton. <laughs> I, and, and so did you do, do you remember doing anything to try to get his attention and then still not having it work what'd you do um yeah i would strike up conversations with him about like leaving and going to america because that was really exciting for me and he didn't want to go he thought america is just um, twisted and messed up that people are just too attracted to money and cheap crap from china and they don't value community and family the same way the east does and so he said, it's just poisoned. And I'd be like, really? I heard good things about us. Like they have Snickers bars <laughs> and cause Snickers bars was a big deal in nineties. Like half of his salary for a month would buy us a Snickers bar in the nineties. And would he buy- actually buy the Snickers bar? Yeah. Cause they were so expensive. They would be sold in these like, like big, um, there, there's these little like stab and grab kind of things. And so you, you'd really like give cash. And we, when we got a Snickers bar, we'd like cut it in these small wow. pieces and you'd have a little piece every day or something like that. It was a big treat, almost two weeks worth of a paycheck, you know, for one Snickers bar. Like, Why would he spend that much money on a Snickers bar? Well, my dad did. It was like a very special thing, like for a birthday or a big holiday uh, thing, okay. like instead of a gift, you know? Okay. And so when you got to America, he did he come with you? No, no. He no. stayed there. He's never been here. He's never, we left in 93 and first 10 years, we just sent letters back and forth. And I, I only saw him 
five years ago was the last the first time I saw him like on, How on was the video. It to see him again? <laughs> oh, on video, not even in person. Five years ago, first time you saw him on video. Yeah. In 2006, I saw him once in person. I flew back there and, 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 uh, we met and you know, I, I call him sometimes, but he's very different from everything here. It's hard to talk to him. <laughs> How was it to see your dad after all that? Were you full of resentment or were you still eager to be loved? And it was just, man, like you just weren't the, I, I went back to just kind of see the country and see where I grew up and it all looked kind of gray to me, you know, it, it's nice, but it's nothing that I would go back to seek out constantly. It, it was a nice trip back. Like I bring my kids when they're 10 or 11 or 12 and we go to St. Petersburg, not Moscow. And we go and do the cultural stuff. I think that's what I probably do more of hanging out with my dad. Like it was okay. Like we don't have that much in common, you know, <laughs> I get it. He likes to listen to Russian songs about criminals and jail and drink vodka. <laughs> I'm the biggest lightweight. I, I get drunk off of one beer. I do not like Russian outlaw songs. And, <laughs> and so we, we don't really agree on politics or anything. So I don't know. That leaves very few choices for a conversation. <laughs> All right. You, a few months ago, decided you were going to sell Just Reach Out. In a moment, we'll come back and talk about what you did on uh, Nathan Latka's YouTube channel to try to sell it. I want to know how well that worked out and and then how you structured your sale. First, uh, you know Unbounce, right, Mitri? Of course yeah. you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They totally. allow people to create landing pages. One of the things that they realized over at Unbounce is they've got all this insight into what's working in landing pages and specifically for each industry, what's working for landing pages. And they said, you know, why don't we just come out with this report that will help allow people to see what's working, allow themselves to benchmark against people who are similar to them and successful, and then just get ideas for how to improve. And so that's what they created. That's what they're offering for free right now. It's called the Conversion Benchmark Report. Check out how easy it is to go to the URL. It's unbounce.com slash CBR. C for conversion, B for benchmark, R for report. Conversion benchmark report. It's at unbounce.com slash CBR. Of course, we'll include a link and I'm grateful to them for sponsoring. You decided to sell because you want a little bit, actually, why? Why do you want to sell? So I got past all those hurdles and problems and I built a business that was a complete lifestyle business. I was not scaling to 500,000 and a million because I just didn't have a team. It was just me and a couple of contractors. And then I had five or six contractors, but it was a total lifestyle business. I was spending five hours a week, probably running it. And it was earning 20 K a month or something like that. So I could get capital, scale it, hire people. Definitely didn't want to do that. That's just, way more time that I wanted to allow myself to work. Cause again, my focus was my family hanging out with them, with my kids, teaching them Russian, doing math with them, that kind of stuff. And so I was like, well, I could bring on a partner and have him run it or her run it. And that would take more time off my plate and they would kind of scale it. I could also, you know, hire my own team and keep working on it, but I, it was just a lifestyle business for me, you know? And so I thought, why not 
try and find somebody that would maybe take it to the next level. I knew that right now in my life, it was not what I wanted to do. The tool for selling a business now, the popular marketplace is um, MicroAcquire. Did you go to MicroAcquire? I did. So Andrew emailed me, cold emailed me, Andrew Gazdetsky, probably not saying his last name correctly, but he cold emailed me three or four times. We got on the call and he said, hey, I'm going to help you do this and sell. And I listed on there and I got all sorts of people contacting me. I got like 60 or 70 people like I want to buy your business. (laughs) And they were just kind of goofballs. A lot of them were, I, he says he, you know, he worked with me. We disqualified and banned a number of them. And some of them were pretty good, but I, majority of these people are financial buyers. They, they're going to go in, they're going to say, Dimitri, you're earning 300,000 a year. Like, I'm not going to give you $800,000 for this business. There's no way because look at your churn rate or look at your growth. Your growth went down. Last year it was 400. This time it's 300. I don't see big growth here. I don't see sexy numbers, you know, and I need my my numbers to be looking like this. And so I don't see a big, big uh, reason for me to offer that, that kind of price for 70%, 80% of the business. Like there's no way, right? And so I needed a strategic buyer who knew kind of the space and knew and had complementary products that they could maybe marry it with. And I just, you know, I became a, a, a Rhodium Weekend as a community that I really like. It's a community of people that buy and sell businesses. What is it called? Rhodium Weekend. Rhodium Weekend? Rhodium Weekend. Yep. And there's a guy named Chris Yates who runs it. It's a private group on Facebook and they do an in-person thing in uh, Vegas. And they invited me to Vegas. They put me up in four seasons and I did one of the major talks at the event. And I met a whole bunch of people there and they kind of helped me a lot through this process of navigating and finding the right buyer and and running a process. Before we get into what worked for you, let's talk about Nathan Latka. Nathan Latka, he has, what is the event? What is the the show called where he brings somebody on to sell their business? Deal or bust, I think. Yeah, deal or bust. I was on it. The, the premise is you come on as an entrepreneur and try to sell your business to three buyers. And then he often will have three people who will come in and just prod things along. I was one of those three people in the past where I just went into the entrepreneur and did my interview thing with them for a few minutes to pull out information and to also give the buyer some time to think about whether they want to do it. You said yes to him. Makes It's obvious why, because you're trying to sell. You want to drum up some interest, right? Did you expect that you would sell right there on deal or bust? No, I, and I was very apprehensive. I said, listen, man, I'm a little scared of you. I've listened to your podcast interviews. I know because he's kind of just boom, 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 boom. Yeah. You just yeah. hammer, hammer people to death. And I, I'm a lifestyle guy running a lifestyle business. You're going to kill me. You're going to look at my numbers and say, you know, this is complete trash. Don't even come to my show. And he's like, no, no, you know, I'll be super nice. Everything will be great. And, you know, look at me, let me see your numbers. And he looked at it. He's like, oh, it looks good. It looks fine. I was like, yeah, all right, <laughs> whatever. Okay. <laughs> we'll give it a shot. Was he nice? He was nice. Yep. Uh, the 
the people he brought on were not a fit at all, but it was, it was fine. Like I, I kind of, I thought they, they'd know a little bit about my industry a little more, but yeah, he, he was, he was nice and he kind of moderated well. Um, That's the thing that I did when I was on, when I was on, when I was on, I found out who, cause he doesn't want anyone to know who's selling the business until the show starts. I found out who it was. He might've even told me. And then I went out and I reached out to people in the space. And I said, tell me about this business. Tell me about this person. And I just wanted to get as much insight as I could so that I wasn't just doing the figure it out questions, but bring more insight into it. It's a lot to ask for people to sit there and not have enough background and then ask the right questions that will lead to a sale. But he did it. He pushed you to give as much information as possible about your numbers because he wants to show the buyers. One of the buyers, I don't know if we should say who it is if you talk to them privately, but one of the buyers in private was sending you messages saying, I'm interested and they wanted to, they wanted potentially to buy. Why didn't that work out? Without saying who it was, what was well, up with that? Well, it was funny because this was one of the judges or one of the people that was on the panel. Oh, not one of the buyers. One of the people on the panel who's supposed to drive things along. Okay. And so he was he was like kind of talking, but when he was not, he was like private chatting me and uh, <laughs> a lot, he picked up on it. And he's like, hey, what are you doing? Are you like chatting with somebody? He's like, yeah, I'm actually chatting with Dimitri trying to see if I could do like a private deal or something. And then ah. just kind of exploded. People were laughing. It was kind of funny. So he then we can't say funny. who it is. Who, who who was it? It was Nat. Nat, Nat Allison. He was- uh, Lyson. Lyson, yeah. Uh-huh. He was like a subject matter expert, I think, that, that he brought in. Because he has like- the people that are like the serious buyers. And then he has like experts. They're going to come in and tell you kind of like what you should be doing with your business. And he's good. He's an SEO person. He's a marketer. He's a content person. He's done more, but all that comes in and and it's useful. Why didn't he end up buying it? Not offered enough money? Oh, he just wanted to do seller financing, which I I think Ryan Culp is a big fan of that. There's a whole bunch of people out there. How does seller financing work? Just the seller finances the deal. It's like basically they take money out of the company revenue on a five-year basis, 10-year basis and pay you your proceeds. And that's how you sell the business. So you say, hey, I walk away. So you away, sell it, but Nat hey, runs we- it and Nat gives you a percentage of the sales that come in until you hit some magical number and then he doesn't have to pay you that amount anymore. Right, right. And the, and what you want is more certainty. You don't want him to not have enough invested in the business, but still magically produce enough revenue for you to get your exit faster or more dependably than you can yourself. All right, right I, get, I get that. Um, and, and I think it was even Nathan Latka who talked about doing stuff like that in the past. I, I get it. I so that wasn't a good, de- well, that didn't lead to a sale, but it did lead to customers. How many customers did you get from that? I think between 30 and 50 customers. And Latka was very honest about it. He's like, listen, when you come on, you should probably come on for this aspect. You know, people watch the show. They probably want to do some outreach, do get their SEO going, get links, get publicity, and they'll sign up. So about 30 to 50, I think, came in tried it out, signed up, and that was great. Uh, there's some, a little bit of an influx of customers, so. That's solid. How much revenue are we looking at from that? What's the monthly on it? I, it probably jumped by like 
a grand or I, I don't know, like 1300. I'll have to look cause we had promotions going. Okay. It's, it's your, like, your minimum is a hundred dollars a month. Yeah. So I was thinking and then, like, if more. you do a commitment, it's like, it could be even less 79, but you do have prepay for a year. So and, uh, let's we, take a hundred, a hundred a month then, at 40 people. That's $4,000. Right. We had different uh, pricing okay. then, I think. I'll have to double check, but I maybe it was a little more. I just remember sticking from it because people signed up. Th- that's what, what typically works is like people sign up three months down the road. They're like, I don't have time to do this. Uh, maybe I'll cancel and come back or maybe I'll find somebody else to do it and come back. And so. All right. We're going to come back and find out. Um, how you ended up getting the business sold. But first, my second sponsor is a company called HostGator for hosting websites. Dimitri, you've done websites on WordPress now for a long time. You have a, a course set up on a WordPress site. What's the course? PR that converts. All right. So basically the same type of thing that anyone can get at hostgator.com slash Mixergy right now. You have the same type of hosting package. You're using a competitor, um, but frankly, I'm not so married to HostGator, even though they're a sponsor, that I say that everyone else thinks hosting should just work, should be dependable, and let you focus on your business. The interesting thing for me is, what did you build? And HostGator will do that. Dependable, good price, and I'll let you focus on your business. What's uh, what's the model that you've got going on for yours, for your course and your content on your WordPress site? So I have two different installs of WordPress. I have one for the landing page that converts people to buy the course. And then I have another WordPress install for the back end where I have all my videos, all the content. For so paid I have customers. two WordPress sites. Okay. How's that doing so, revenue wise? It's great. Uh, so, you know, I do these launches. So whenever I send an email out, I will mm-hmm. get people in the door. So if I'll do like a sequence of say four or five, I could probably do 60 grand, 80 grand of revenues from that sequence to my email list. Mm-hmm. But I haven't been doing that lately a lot. But what happens is the page itself now gets 2000 visits per month just organically because it's been mentioned different places. And so every week there'll be one or two people that converts through and that's, and you know, $2,300 uh, a pop uh, or $1,000 a pop. And so between a thousand and 20, 2,300, 2,900 different packages, mm-hmm. but it's pretty cool. Like every week now, two, three people would, come in organically, check it out, convert. What's the course on? What's the course on? PR and SEO. PR and SEO. So you're you're teaching people how to do this. You have WordPress installed, um, all possible on HostGator. Let's give people a few tools. So number one, if you want to copy what Dimitri is doing, you need WordPress. HostGator makes it easy to install WordPress. Within a few minutes, you'll have your website up and running on the WordPress platform. HostGator will host it. Give me a few few plugins or tools that have helped you with WordPress for creating course and creating content. Zippy courses. Zippy courses. Zippy courses. I use that for the actual course to host that. That's been phenomenal. I didn't have to build any new software. I just couldn't Mm -hmm. literally use the course. I use something called Link Whisperer. which is a great tool to interlink your internal pages and show Google which pages are most important. So you can basically use the tool to get your internal linking 
in order. Um, there's a whole bunch of other ones that I use, like, you know, SEO plugins, but those are like some of the main ones for, for this setup. All right. Go get your website. You'll get the lowest possible price. If you use my URL, it's hostgator.com slash Mixergy. Just go sign up, experiment, play, and don't be afraid to even discard it. The idea is you get in there, you try it out. And then once you know, once you experience it, once you start, the momentum is built up and you can continue and build something phenomenal. Hostgator.com slash Mixergy. All right. How'd you end up finding your actual customer? So the buyer of the business, the buyer, uh, it was, he reached out, uh, I think, I don't know where he saw me. I think he's been following my stuff. He saw articles and he might've seen me on microacquire before. Uh, and he just kind of an SEO guy, he runs SEO stuff, um, an SEO SaaS called SEO jet which is another tool that allows you to um, analyze your anchor text and improve your SEO rankings, um, anchor text on all the links pointing to you. And so um, he reached out and he was just the perfect conversation starter. It was not kind of why is your revenue, you know, not growing tenfold or what do you project your revenues will be? Or what? It was not about metrics so much. He looked at the metrics, but it was more about, you know, where, what do you want to do with the tool strategically? Do you want to pivot into the SEO world? Do you want to keep going with the PR focus on, on the targeting? And I was like, oh, it's like a refreshing way to start a conversation. And we just kind of clicked, like, I think in terms of a fit, he really wanted to run something like this. I wanted to step away. So it, the conversation progressed naturally as isn't like 70 other people I talked to was always kind of just a little pushback, pushy. I, I don't mind it, but I don't, I, you just get a bad gut feeling most of the times with these with these people who buy and sell businesses. Does it seem like they're there to almost knock you down, make you feel bad that you're not good enough so that you'll just be so hating your own business that you'll want to give it up? Yeah, it That's felt it like is. that many times. Uh, I talked, uh, and, and again, with, with this guy, it took about five months for us to reach the deal and get everything done. And before that, it was about a year that I talked to a lot of people and we did these processes for two, three months. They would go back and forth with you and they, they'd really dig deep into all these things, trying to interview your customers and your product. And they tried to use it and they wouldn't know how to use it. And, you know, all sorts of things. And then they basically tell you what's wrong with it. Right. And eventually they just pass and leave and you'd feel kind of crappy afterwards, but yeah, life goes on. <laughs> You know, I had an experience once. I don't think I ever revealed the name of the potential buyer. I'm going to say it now. We were running an online greeting card company, my brother and I, in, our, in my 20s. And American Greeting came in and said, we're interested in buying. We see how many how many people are using your online greeting cards. We want to capitalize on it. And we think we can convert some of them into buying paper greeting cards or signing up for our e-greeting card service that will then transition them into paying customers of American Greetings. I said, this seems like a perfect fit. We're doing 400, I think, thousand uh, greeting cards sent a day. You're not in this space. 
great. I remember going over to their office. I remember talking to them, showing them our numbers, getting to know the team, getting in on team meetings, seeing the special things that they had around the office that were American greetings like. And if you've ever gone to, I don't know where they sell, but they sell in these little mom and pop stores. You see American greeting as, as a product everywhere. It's a, it's a national brand. It feels special to be invited inside the company, to hear them tell you, to hear them tell me about how they aren't doing as well, as good a job as I am and how, how they admire what we do. And then at the end, when it was time for them to finally put up an offer, the offer was, we're going to take the money essentially out of your bank account to pay you for the business. And I was so like stunned by that. I, said, uh, I didn't even know what to say. And I went back to my brother and I said, all right, I think it makes sense to do this. I think we should do it. And my brother, had, who hadn't gone to any of these meetings, hadn't gone through this whole distortion, this mental distortion, said, are you out of your mind? Why don't we just take the money out of the business and close it up for what they're talking about? And I said, well, because I, realized I have no answer for that. This is just a dragged out process that at the end, I just want to kill myself and be and give them the carcass. So yeah, I felt like that a little bit with some of them. I ended the conversations a little earlier, but yeah, a couple of them were just. I also dealt with a couple of brokers, which is the worst thing you can do when you're trying to sell. Um, and Why? No disrespect to the brokers or anything. It's just. You, I, I cannot work with a broker. <laughs> Why? What's the issue with the brokers? I've been watching that there's a, an issue with the brokers and MicroAcquire. MicroAcquire does uh, an online platform, a marketplace where you could basically go and buy and sell your business. Uh, and I see them, I, I see them battling I each other. I feel like a prostitute. Uh, and this is my pimp who is kind of like bringing me around. And the pimp knows the right people to talk to. But I, for some reason don't and i really shouldn't say certain things and he should or she should it's just like it was like this layer of complexity where they also take and you know a percentage of this uh transaction and on top of it they want uh, to be paid for their consulting some of them do some of oh, them don't really but some yeah, of them want to be paid for consulting you to set up your company so you could sell it they're basically they see someone who's frail and they say let's see what we could get and i i I maybe I'm generalizing that. I, don't, I wouldn't say that everyone, I don't want to be cynical about it, but there is a situation where they have an incentive to be nicer to the buyer than to the seller, because the buyers are often buying a lot of companies, or at least to the person who's, who's very active with them and less to the person who's brand new. You are lunch for somebody who they have to feed on a regular basis. They want that person to keep coming back to them. Um, yeah. It just a lot of times just doesn't line up like a, most of that. And even if a person is really nice to you and they're like, I see this working out. I really want to move forward. This is a perfect fit. And you think in your mind, this is perfect. Amazing. And then when it comes to like actual money, it's like, oh, I, I thought it would be like this versus that. I'm like, no, <laughs> you waste all this time and energy, you know. So I learned over the time to just bring up main parts first and then. If we agree on the money aspect, we can continue talking. So you just go into your numbers. That was what you decided to do. Go into your numbers. If we agree that this is where you want to uh, buy, then we can talk about the details of how to make this right. But if it's not the right price for you, let's move on. That was your way of right. speeding and it up. Don't harp on it too much. Like if they're like, why don't you justify that valuation? Uh, I usually say, I don't need to justify. I'm the founder. I've been running it for seven years. 
this is the number that I want to sell at. Right. If you're not interested in that number, it's fine. You know, like if that range doesn't work for you, you know, and then they'll be like, okay, well, probably not. And I'll be like, all right, well, and so I could tell them roughly like what, what it's making, but I wouldn't really need to back it up too much. My valuation of it. <laughs> how did you, um, how did you decide that you wanted to keep a percentage of the business instead of saying, I'm just going to move on? So as a lifestyle business, I see it selling when somebody proper comes along and just dedicates 40, 60 hours a week, hammering their head against the wall and, and, and scaling it and then eventually selling it. So I do see, you know, I've had big companies in my space come to me and say, Hey, why don't we talk about this? And you, I was just too young, you know, as a company to really talk to them and I didn't want to. So I see this reselling and I was like, I wanted to be completely stock sale because I wanted to pay um, a big tip for anybody running a business who wants to get it acquired. There's something called small business qualified stock. And okay. if, you, if you're a C-Corp, you incorporate as a C-Corp, you hold your shares for five years or more and you're a qualified small business stock, you pay no taxes to the federal uh, for to, at all. Uh, but you have to that. be a small business C Corp qualified stock and you have to hold actually sh issue your shares to yourself and hold them for five years plus. So, um, you know, I definitely wanted this to be a stock sale, which is really hard to orchestrate in general. Let me say and why. I, I think that one of the reasons why businesses don't want to do a stock sale, they want to do an asset sale. A stock sale is they buy all the stock of the business and or some of the stock. An asset sale is they just buy the assets like the name of the company, the email list, the whatever, the ongoing recurring revenue. The reason the businesses prefer to buy that is, if I understand it right, one big one is they don't want any any unknowns to pop up. With an asset sale, if you happen to have a liability that you didn't tell them about, they have to, because they own the business, they have, oh, it's a stock sale, they have to then pay off that debt. Even if they, even if you didn't disclose it, it's on them, they own the business, right? Right. And they don't want that. They don't want all those liabilities. They just want the right. asset, you deal with the headache, right? Right. But okay. uh, with tax wise, it, it's a big, significant difference. You know, if you issued yourself your stock and you held it for, if it's long-term gains, you know, long-term capital gains, you're paying like 15%, 20% instead of your ordinary income federal mm -hmm. tax. And if it's a qualified small business C-Corp, you're paying no taxes at all on the sale to the federal government, at least. You're probably paying something at state level. Uh, but yeah, for I had no idea. I'm looking this up right now on Investopedia. Small business qualified so small I, business stock QSBS um, refers to shares of a qualified small business uh, as defined by the Internal Revenue Code. Um, it's a C corporation whose gross assets valued at the original cost do not exceed fifty million dollars on and immediately after uh, its stock issuance. Yeah, wow. um, I have this guy Romeo Razi, and I have this card right here. See. Mm -hmm. um, this guy used to be an auditor at IRS, but mm -hmm. now he's a tax expert that advises people on tax issues. So he's a perfect person to have in your Rolodex because questions like this, he's the guy at IRS who used to audit people. So he basically knows how the IRS tax code is designed and works. So I run everything by him and I'm like, listen, man, 
how do I, what, what kind of taxes am I going to have to pay on this sale? <laughs> so then why didn't you, why didn't you want to sell the whole thing? Just move on. It seems like what you're saying is you believed that there was much more upside than you can tap into. You believed that if somebody else had, had an incentive, a financial incentive to make this work, if they had enough experience, if they had enough synergy with their current business, they could grow it. And you wanted to see that belief come through and you're willing to keep some investment in the business so that it would pay off the way you expect. That's your goal. Am I right? Yeah, that's okay. correct. Yeah. And I'm also the face of the company. I'm known for it. Um, people kind of synonymous, just reach out, Dimitri. Right. They've heard about me through it. And we both agree that it's good to keep that name on it. And so for that- your name on the business. Yep. And, okay. and so for that, we decided, hey, why don't we just make me a partial owner? This new person will run the business, invest into it, have his team continue scaling it. And when it gets acquired, you know, we both have an upsell, upside. Okay. All right. That makes sense. You sold. How did life change afterwards? Were you able to take some space? Yeah. Uh, I started focusing more on my courses and my blogs. I... Um, we started Russian School of Mathematics with my son, and he is kicking butt at first grade math. What is right Russian now. School of Mathematics? It's it's like an online and in person uh, class once a week uh, where okay. um, you just do math, and it's in a playful way. So he's in first grade. He's doing equations with um, algebraic equations, and it's like fun for him because they make it playful and they they take things out of nature and you know it's kind of cool the way they teach math and so i do that stuff with him and i love it and <laughs> i'm not running just reach out instead i'm just doing a bunch of math with my son and uh and his russian is so good he's reading and writing in russian as well so i'm spending a ton of time with that and yeah, my course PR that converts is um, doing better because I have time to dedicate growing traffic to the site. I bought a blog. I've been scaling my my three couple blogs that I'm running. Uh, so life is good. Uh, just doing work on the house. Uh, just really but no being more like pressure. a family man, you know. <laughs> revenue revenue pressure is no more on you, right? You're there to help, but you're you're not the person responsible for doing it. That's got to feel good. And now you bought, uh, what was the other site that you bought? Smallbiz.tools. I okay. bought, redesigned, and relaunched that. And it went from 10 clicks a day in October of last year to 500 a day uh, clicks, uh, meaning uniques coming to the site now. It's a site that reviews small business tools, smallbiz.tools. And it's been a great it's, it's just been great process redesigning that. And it's, Oh, the site looks really good. Is this just a template? Well, it's um, I built the template designed it on my own and um, relaunched it. Um, it, um, you know, I, I am getting pretty good. Like a couple of sponsors now that I work with for the site, still working on scaling traffic for it hitting the right keywords. Um, I have a phenomenal writer who I work with and the guy is just amazing. The guy, he wrote 37 signals blog. If you ever mm, heard of 37 yeah. signals, um, he wrote their books. He was their employee number one. And now he's a consultant, Wait, like a this? writer, Matt, Matt Ruby. 
Matt He's, Ruby helped write the books with them? I thought they wrote it themselves, the two founders. Well, of- he helped them. He was there in employee number one. So he helped them write those books. Um, okay. And so, so yeah, he, um, he was there writer basically i, do I like think. their their writing style he's really good at taking very boring subjects and making it really interesting and exciting <laughs> for readers and so yeah he is working with me on the blog uh, and he does work for me he's fantastic oh, and, look at this um, um I, I guess there's a tweet here uh from david hanmeyer hansen the creator of basecamp co-creator says basecamp was created in 2004 by just four people three of them still work here but at matt ruby upgraded to become a stand-up comedian here's his full special available free so, he is good too is he? he's very funny all right hang on if, if you two plays i'm gonna have to mute i'm i'm just adding this to my playlist on youtube oh you should definitely (laughs) listen to it he's just he has a very funny newsletter called the rubster and it's just hilarious like he cracks me up all the time he he had a newsletter about what i would uh (laughs) how things changed you know i back in the day i never had to uh, wait for anything. Like I always waited for things. I was patient. I never was reminded of things I forgot. And he has like a whole funny bit about all these things. Good guy. All right. I'm saving this over to my, my playlist. Let's close it out here. Was, do you really believe that it was all worth it? Think of all the nights that you work. Think about all, I, I sometimes wonder too with entrepreneurship, who needs it? If you had a good job, like your friends at Google, you could work good hours. Maybe Google demands more time than other businesses, but you could have just worked on marketing at a company like Zurb where you were working for a long time, right? Gotten your recognition, gotten a paycheck, no agita, spend time with your kids, Instead, you took on all this risk, you took on all this anxiety and all this worry. Was it worth it? I think totally. It it shaped me into who I am now. I think it put a name, my name out there definitely as a a subject matter expert. I, I built a business of my own and I think I helped thousands of people figure out how to do PR and I'm continue helping them how to do PR, SEO. And I think I interviewed Philip Rosedale years ago and he told me, if you were new, you were never going to make a penny out of this business at all. Would you do this again? And if the answer is yes, then then you should be doing it. And if the answer is no, well, I really wanted an exit or I really needed an X amount of money or whatever it is, then you should really reconsider. And I tried to live up to it I as much as I could. And I think that's why like, I'll still help our customers out and just reach out if I have time, you know, I'll still help people out for free if, if I have time because I'm really passionate about helping people figure out PR, figure out SEO. And I feel like that's like my mission in life or vision for life is just helping people connect and get PR going and get SEO going. And I probably continue doing it even now. So it was worth it, I feel like, definitely. All right. I think the best way for people to follow up with you is to go to criminallyprolific.com. I write, you got your contact yep. information, your email address, the whole thing up on there. Yep. And yep. Then they, 
They could read some of the articles that have been doing well for you. Oh, or the PR that converts.com. There's also a chat box there. And if I'm online, I can chat with them. <laughs> PR that converts. I don't I buy it. 15 hours a week is all your talk is all you're working. Huh? I don't buy it. You're only working 15 hours a week. If you're, if you're on live, you'll chat with people there and you can squeeze that all into your 15 hours. Yes. Uh, the chat is really an email. So when people hit chat, I'll get an email and I use hey.com. Yep. And so I don't get to all of them, you know? So if you put the chat in, just you might hear from me in 24 hours or 48 hours, but I really time box myself. There's no way for me not to do that, Andrew. So at 9 a.m., I have to bring my daughter to school. I come home, I have to do a workout and eat. And then I work and at 2.30, I have to pick her up. Like today, my wife is picking her up and she has to go to yoga right now. And mm. she's a little bit pissed at me, but it's fine. <laughs> but usually, <laughs> Thanks for, for doing this. Uh, but like, she's um, usually, I pick her up at 2.30 and then when I pick her up, that's it. Like she's a four-year-old and I have a six-year-old here too. So my wife picks up the six-year-old, I pick up her. And the only time I can work is after nine and I'm not doing that. <laughs> You mean after 9 p.m. when they're in bed and asleep? Yeah, so I kind of built my life around this now. So there's no way out of it now. I have to keep doing this until they go to middle school or something. (laughs) All right. Thanks for doing this. And I want to thank the two sponsors who made this interview happen. The first, if you need a website hosted, go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. That's the the site that I use. That's the service I use to host my site. Um, And then the second if you want to know how to improve your conversions, there's a report that I want you to check out. Go to, and again, it's free. Go to unbounce.com slash CBR. Dimitri, thanks so much for doing this. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Bet. Thanks. Bye, everyone.